All right, good morning, Mosaic. It's good to see you guys. I would love to hear awkward dating stories. I've got a few of my own I could share. I might save those for a different morning, though. But uh, being single is one of those stages of life I do not wish to relive again because dating is not so awesome a lot of the time. Um, just out of curiosity, how many singles do we have in the room this morning? Pretty good number. Okay, so there's kind of like two t- kinds of singles in my mind. There's like the kind of Apostle Paul kind of singles that are like, you know what? I don't need a man. I don't need a woman. I am good. I'm my own person. I'm done. Right. How many people would fit kind of that description, would you say? Okay, we've got a few. Yep, yep. More power to you. The Apostle Paul would say, you are free to serve as a part of God's kingdom and his church in ways that us married folks and dating folks just aren't. So that is awesome. But the second kind of dating, uh, single person is the kind that would say, you know, having a significant other is not the most important part of my world. It's not the most important thing to me. But if I'm really honest, it sure would be nice to find somebody. How many people have got that fit that description? Okay. Honest? Yeah, yeah. Look around. Singles? Okay. Yep. You're welcome for that. Just want to serve you guys. Trying to help you out here as your pastor. Um, there is actually a dating site that I came across here just last week. This is a real site. Uh, it's not eHarmony or Christian Mingle or Christian Tingle or whatever. It's called BeautifulPeople.com. BeautifulPeople.com. So the premise of BeautifulPeople.com is you actually have to be a beautiful person to be a part of BeautifulPeople.com. And so if you want to be a part of this, you actually have to submit your application with a photo, and they're very adamant that it needs to be an accurate representation of how you really look. So not like five years old, you know, or five years old, you know, back in the, in the day when you were in, in great shape. It has to be like how you look now. And then over 48 hours, the members of BeautifulPeople.com will vote on whether or not you should be a part of their group. And there's a sliding scale between beautiful and absolutely not. All right, And then their whole premise is, their, their business model is that beautifulpeople.com allows them to sort through the riffraff, quote unquote. And that you actually have to be careful if you are tempted to go and submit your application because they monitor how you look. And so they will follow you on social media. And every Thanksgiving, about Thanksgiving Christmas time, they usually cut about 5,000 people who have put on a little weight over the holidays. I kid you not. And this is quote unquote. This is what they say. Letting fatties roam the site is a direct threat to our business model. Is it elitist? Yes, it is. Because our members want it to be. Is it lookist? Yes, it is. Because our members want it to be. Is it PC? No. But hey, it's honest. All right? So this is an actual site. If you're thinking about running off and applying to beautifulpeople.com, please let me know. I'd love to know how it goes. I want to know where the bar is because I'm just curious. I would venture to guess most of us are probably not going to run off and apply to beautifulpeople.com. Uh, but you know what? I, I share that because the same kind of like, there's something about that. Me, I don't know if you're this way, but it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Whereas like the nerve of people, you know what I mean? Like, wow. Like there's something about like they're in and you're not. And you know, you, we're going to vote you in or we're going to vote you out. And, and I share that because for a lot of us, and Mosaic is like a magnet for this kind of people. Uh, I don't know what it is about our community, but a lot of us have been burned by churches that practice the same kind of thing. Only instead of beautifulpeople.com, like if we had a website, it would be like spiritualpeople.com. You know, and, and the members almost like, they don't do it officially, but there's almost like this unspoken vote going on. Where it's like either you're passionate enough to stay here and you're committed enough, or you don't really belong. 
right? Either you believe the right things, right, and you fall into line, or you really shouldn't be here, right? Or you behave in all the right ways, and these are the sins that in our minds are the most important to avoid, right? And the moment you cross that line, you, you no longer belong here. Right? And one of the things that we looked at last week is when Jesus actually stepped into a similar culture of kind of the spiritual elitism, right? Where you, there, here's the bar of where God is, and you've got to behave, and you've got to clear that bar, right? And there, there are those people who make it, and then there's everybody else, right? Like there's a certain group of people, and they're more deserving of God's love. And then there's everybody else. But then into that elitism, Jesus walks, and he just flips the thing completely on its head. And he starts inviting uh, much to the demise of the Pharisees. They couldn't stand this. They couldn't understand this. Is he started inviting people who were on the outside of like the religious elite, and he actually invited them to be a part of his crew, to be a part of his inner circle. Right. So last week we looked at you know what actually being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. It's a prerequisite. Right. It just is. Like if you want to follow Jesus, every single follower of Jesus was a sinner. And in fact, when you read the Gospels, it's like the the more notorious the sinner, like the greater their candidacy of becoming a follower of Jesus. And the people who rejected it were the people who just thought they were all good and they had it all figured out and kind of this religious elite kind of idea. Right? And then we took it a step further and looked at, you know what, actually being an unbeliever, not believing what we're talking about here, not believing in God or Jesus being God doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus either. Right? In fact, all the early disciples, none of them believed. And actually we find that most of them didn't believe until the very end after Jesus was resurrected, and how much faith does that take? You know, I saw you dead, now you're alive. Okay, I believe what you say. Right, but most of them, all the way to the end. Right, and Thomas, even on the other side of the resurrection, was like, I don't know. And Jesus didn't say, you're out. Right, but he practiced grace, and he just said, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Belief will come. Follow me. Change will come. Don't fix yourself up. Just follow me. Follow me. Right, so this morning what I want to do is I want to actually look at a passage of Scripture, another story in, that we have, an account when Jesus invites another unlikely person to follow him. And what's shocking about this particular story is not just who he invites, but the way in which he does it. Right, because the way that this story is typically told, this is, this is one that is, is misinterpreted and misrepresented all the time. Right, and we've got to talk about it because honestly, I bet, I bet for a lot of us who have grown up in church, or have been exposed to church in any respect, this, the way that I'm going to read this the first time, is how we have often heard it depicted of what it means to follow Jesus. Right? But when we miss it, there's actually two accounts in the Gospels of this same story. Matthew writes about it, and Luke writes about it, and they both wrote to completely different audiences. But we usually favor the first one, and the reason this is such a big deal is it presents to us a very unrealistic picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Very intimidating. And very unrealistic. And so I want to read for you first Matthew's version of this. This is, this is the most popular version. Here we go. Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18. This is how it reads. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. I read that, and I'm like, what? You've got to be kidding me. This guy just walks up in the middle of their office, you know, their business, they're doing their work, and he's like, hey, guys, you're done. You No two-week notice for you. Your new gig is to follow me. I know you don't know who I am, but just follow me. And they just leave everything and go? That makes no sense to me. No sense whatsoever. 
Right? But this is like how we usually talk about this. And it actually gets worse. This is what it says in verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in the boat with their father. They were preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, hey, follow me. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Does that make any sense to anybody here? Right? I love my parents. You're going to have to do something pretty incredible to get me to leave. Right? Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And they're like, hey, see you, Dad. Good luck with the family business. Tell Mom we're sorry. And we'll miss her. Peace out. Right? This, if you have a skeptical bone in your body, this does not sound like real faith. This sounds like really irresponsible. Doesn't it? It's like the same thing we tell our kids not to do. Don't get in a car with a stranger. Right? If he's offering you candy, run. Right? If he's selling ice cream out of a broken down minivan, playing music that sounds like it belongs to a Tim Burton film, I need to be there. Don't get in that van. Whatever you do, don't get in a vehicle and leave with a stranger. That's exactly what happens here. And the way that we usually talk about this in the church world is this is what real faith is. If you had real faith, the moment Jesus says the word, you would drop everything and follow him. Right? You, would, you would leave loved ones. You would leave your career and follow him if you had real faith. Apparently, you don't. Right? Maybe you need to pick up a hobby or something. Because apparently following Jesus is not really for you. Right? So, share this because the good news is, like, this is not the whole story. Right? This, this is the story, but there's so much more going on. Right? Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience with Jewish assumptions, Jewish expectations, Jewish beliefs. And so he just gives us like this brief synopsis of like the main points, skips over the details of what happened. Fortunately, Luke writes about the exact same thing. But he's writing to Gentiles, people like us. People don't have Jewish expectations or Jewish beliefs or Jewish assumptions about God and, and what's supposed to happen. Right? And so when Luke writes his gospel, he says, look, I'm a physician. I'm interested in the facts and the details. And I interviewed everybody I could to get all the facts about this Jesus. Everybody who I could find who met him, who walked with him, who knew him and saw these things happen, and I wrote a detailed account. Here's the rest of the story. Okay, so here's Luke's account of the same story, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Oh, okay, so there's, there's a lot more going on here. They're sitting here, and Jesus is actually teaching. Right? He doesn't just walk up blindly and be like, yo, follow me, we're going. Right? He's actually teaching. Right? He's teaching the people. He's talking about the word of God. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Right? Probably answering questions, telling stories, doing what we always found Jesus doing when he was with people, and Peter is sitting there listening. Right? This is so important, so important as we talk about faith. Because faith and following Jesus almost always begins with listening. It almost always begins with content. It almost always begins with the message. And we wrestle and we consider and we question. And many of us doubt, but we listen. And that is where where it begins. Listen, any church or any Christian who tells you that, you know what, you just got to believe. Don't ask questions. If you really had faith, you wouldn't have to ask questions. You just need to fall in the line and accept what we're saying. When you hear that, you need to run. Because that sounds like a cult. Right? If it's true 
if what we're talking about is true, if the scriptures are true, if Jesus is who he said he was and who the scriptures testified to him to be, then it can stand up to some questions. Right? It, it can, God can handle your doubts. God can handle your skepticism. Right? This is where faith starts. It starts with considering. It's not blind faith. Right? It's not just accepting mindlessly what's going on. Most of us, it starts with listening. Every now and then, you'll hear a crazy story right, of Jesus showing up in somebody's closet, you know, and it changes their life. Every now and then, you hear a story like that. Most of us, if you polled most of us in this room, that's not how faith started for us. It started with doing this, listening, dialoguing, questioning, right, asking questions like, you know, could this possibly be true? Right? Might, might I have missed this? Might I be missing this? What, what's the tension that I'm feeling in this? Like, what are the implications of this? Where do I see evidence of this, of being true or, or being untrue? Right? Can I give this a try? What is the cost? What is the risk of me not doing this if, in fact, it is true? Right? It is what I'm hearing affirmed in my experience as I walk this out and take my next step. Do I see evidence of this in the lives of others? These these are not bad things. These are good things. This is where most of us actually start asking questions, listening. One of the greatest uh, great examples of this, um, you know, C.S. Lewis. Many of us are familiar with C.S. Lewis. Uh, He's had a profound impact. Pastors like us, like me, are still, you know, admiring his work and drawing from him. Theologians still draw from his work and are learning from him. Literary admirers still geek out over what he did a very long time ago. Right, but C.S. Lewis, he was an atheist for most of his life. For a good chunk of his life, he just could not buy it. And so he studied, right? And he asked questions, and he learned, and he didn't believe for a very long time. Now, for those of us who are familiar with C.S. Lewis, it's, it's kind of shocking because he's had such a profound impact on Western Christianity. Because when he became convinced, right, he was convinced for all the right reasons. He had thought up and down, And basically, you know, over time, worked his way out of unbelief. And somewhere along the way became convinced that Jesus indeed was the Son of God. Right? And as a result of his doubt, that's part of what made his mind so sharp. That's part of what has made him such a a literary, philosophical, theological force. Right? And so, anyway, I say all this for a couple different reasons. First of all, for those of us in this room who struggle with belief, right, who, who experience ongoing doubt, who have maybe like a natural bent towards skepticism and you're just not sure, you need to be encouraged and know that that is okay. That's where it all starts. Right? Even for those closest to Jesus, it was years of being face-to-face with him, listening to his teaching audibly, seeing the miracles visually, and still it took a long time for some of them to come around. Right? So just know, it, this is not about blind, stupid, unthoughtful faith. That's not what Jesus calls us to. It's a process, and we're all in it, right? And secondly, to challenge us and just to remind us as a community of faith, for those of us who are on the other side of belief, right, for the most part, we're convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, and we're following him. For those of us who call Mosaic home, we just need to be continually creating safe spaces, don't we? Uh, You know, Sunday morning, and not just Sunday morning, in living rooms throughout the week, in our relationships with people who are just wrestling and struggling or doubting or just not believing, that's okay. We need to create spaces where people can dialogue, can ask questions, can disagree with us. Right? God is incredibly, Jesus was incredibly patient with his disciples. God has been incredibly patient with us, right? And we need to be incredibly patient with one another. Right? 
following Jesus always starts with listening. Jesus is teaching, and once you know, that's exactly what Peter is doing. He's listening. Verse 2. Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. All right, so just kind of give you a picture of this. Jesus is down by the water. He's teaching. Right? And the fishermen at this time, they would, I mean, these are, these are rough guys. Like, these are blue-collar, work hard by the sweat of their brow to provide for their families, guys. You know what I mean? Like, calluses everywhere, right? Skin is like leather, right? Their hands are like shovels, right? These are hardworking, blue-collar guys. And Jesus is down there. And what would happen is they would fish at night, for the most part, because this is not a, a lake or a pond. This is a sea, Right? And when the water would heat up during the day, the fish would go deeper, and they didn't have deep-sea fishing back then. So at night, when the fish would come closer to the surface, they'd fish. And then at night, or in the morning, when the sun is up and the fish go deep again, they'd come in, they'd reel in their catch, you know, separate it out, and they'd, they'd take the fishing net and stretch it out, and they'd take out the beer cans and the sea, you know, whatever, um, and uh, seaweed, and they'd clean them. And so the picture that we have is that Jesus is down by the water, and he's teaching and they're listening. He's teaching, and they're cleaning their nets. They're pulling off the seaweed, and they're listening. Pulling off the seaweed, and they're listening. Weighing, considering, they're on the margins, they're checking this out. They're not in the center. Jesus hasn't asked for anything just yet. They're just listening. All right, and then it tells us um, that Jesus, you saw the water's edge, left there a boat um, by, by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And so in verse 3, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who's Peter, and he asked them to put out a little from shore. Okay, so notice this. Notice how the relationship between Jesus and Peter begins. It is not, well, you need to sell everything and follow me. It's not, are you willing to die for me? Right? It's not, hey, either I'm Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. So either you're all in or you're all out. That's not how it began. Right? It began with Jesus asking Peter to inconvenience himself in a small way. The crowd is gathering, right? He says, Peter, can I borrow your boat? Right, will you put me out a little bit so I can speak to the hills where these people are and address them? Right, so this is how it begins. There's listening, listening, and Jesus asks him to take a first step, which really is just inconveniencing himself. Can I borrow your boat? Uh, That's it. And it tells us, then he sat down and Jesus taught the people from the boat. So again, everybody's listening at this point. So Peter and the boys have been listening. They've been listening. He's taking a first step. And then it says this. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking. We don't know how long this was. It could have been hours. We don't know. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Okay, so now Jesus is asking him to take a second step. Right? A bigger step. He's saying, All right, I want you to do something that you've done a thousand times and you've done it your way, but this time I want you to do it my way. I'm asking you to trust me, to step out in faith and do this one thing. And then listen to Peter's response, and I love this. He says, okay, because you say so. Or no, I'm sorry, verse 5, let me back up. Simon answered, Master, we've we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Master, again, not God, not Son of God, not Lord, not divine one, not prophet, just master, just rabbi. Rabbi, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. He's being honest with Jesus. He's pushing back a little bit, right? He's saying, look, we went fishing when you're supposed to go fishing and we didn't catch anything and we're tired and I'm a fisherman 
and you're not. <laughs> you know? It's like, I'm glad you, I, I hear you are a great carpenter, and the rabbi thing seems to be going pretty well. If I ever need a shed or a theological course, I'll call you. But I'm the fisherman. This is not when you fish. We've already done it for a long time. We're wiped. But then he says this. He says, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. All right, so I'm not convinced necessarily. I'm not buying it. Not because this makes strategic sense. Not because I think this is really going to help me in any way. Not because I'm necessarily, you know, buying what you're smoking or selling. Right? Not because I'm, I, I, I want to. But I have enough respect for you. But because you say so, all right, I'll give it a try. And I just want to, just as an aside, I want you to just think for a moment what hangs in the balance right now. In this one little decision. Right? Peter has no idea who Jesus is at this point. He's not convinced of Jesus' divinity. He has no idea that his life is about to change over the next three years, that he's actually going to leave everything and follow Jesus. He has no idea that after Jesus ascends into heaven, he's going to, or before he does, he's going to actually commission Peter to lead his church. He has no idea that he's going to play a part in changing the course of human history. And by the way, crazy to think, 2,000 years later, we're in this room on the other side of the world, and we can trace back part of the reason we're here all the way back to this moment when Peter has to make a single decision, and Peter is clueless. He has no idea what hangs in the balance. All he knows is that in this moment, Jesus is calling him to take a step of faith and to act in obedience of this one thing that Jesus has asked him to do. This one thing. Right? All that to say, we never know. You never know what hangs in the balance of a single decision. You or I. Peter has no clue. All he knows is Jesus is saying, this is the next step. I'm asking you to do this one thing. And Peter does. And if you grew up in church, you know what happens next. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This is the first time that the lights start to come on for Peter. It's the first time he starts to think, okay, there's something going on here with this guy that's bigger than me. And I don't know what it is. He doesn't know a whole lot, but it's the first time there's this spark of belief. In verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Right? This is the beginning of what would be Peter's journey. Right? And again, this is not blind faith. Choosing to, to walk and follow Jesus, it wasn't blind and it certainly wasn't immediate, which Matthew's account kind of leads us to believe if we don't know the rest of the story. No, it began with him listening. Listening to Jesus teach, cleaning the nets. Listening to him teach, cleaning the nets. Right, and then a single step. I want you to inconvenience yourself in this one thing, Peter. I want you to borrow me your boat, put me out a little ways. Right? And then there was the next step. Peter, I want you to go do this one thing that you've done a million different times, but I don't want you to do it your way. I want you to trust me and do it my way. And then what ends up happening is he actually sees the fruit of that. His one small act of faith intersects with God's faithfulness, and this, he sees for the first time, even though he doesn't know a whole lot, what he does know and what he will learn in the weeks, months, years to come is that this Jesus can be trusted. Right? And I might not trust him with my whole life, or all my stuff, at least not yet. But I'm going to trust him with this next step. 
and this next step, and this next step. And after all of that, finally we get to where Matthew just kind of jumped to in his account. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people, which I don't think he had any idea what that meant. (laughs) You know, I think he was just like, what? Okay, Um, but whatever you say, fine, yes, I'm going with you. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, and they left everything, and they followed him. And I love this passage because it gives us such a more accurate picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Right? And in preparing for this message, I came across, uh, I want to share with you really um, four phases of following that, that I found in this passage uh, that I took from North Point Church. So just total disclosure, I totally ripped this off. Um, but I thought it was so good. And I think it's so relevant to every single one of us because every single one of us are at some point along the way. And what I want to challenge you to do is just get honest. And I know this is church and this isn't the place for that, but I want you to just consider getting honest and ask, like, where, where am I, really, in this journey? Not to grade yourself. It's not like Christian 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, straight-A Christian. It's not like that. Right, but just to get us and just get a, an accurate picture of maybe where you're at at this point in your journey. Right, for some of us, for some of you, you, you're in the sit and listen phase. You're in the sit and listen phase. Coming to church and listening to a pastor, who, know, who knows how you feel about pastors, is a big deal. Right, because every church is different. Some of them are really different. You know, they can be weird and bizarre. Right? Some of us, in, again, Mosaic, man, we, we, have, we are a magnet for people who have been burned at different points in our journey by Christians and churches and pastors, just bad experiences. And for some of you, just being here is a first step, and it's a big step. Right? Yesterday I was in Target, and I ran into a gal from our community, and she's got a really good friend who's going through a rough divorce right now. It's ugly. And so she invited her. She said, you know, I think you should really come check out Mosaic. Right? And she said, why in the world would I want to go to church right now? The last thing I need is a group of Christians judging me as I go through this. And she said, well, that's why you need to come to Mosaic. So that's not, not what's going to happen. It's not what's going to happen, right? But the sad reality is sometimes you just never know what you're going to get when you show up in church. And for, so for some of you, just listening in online or being in the room is a first step, right? Whether you realize it or not, whether you meant to or not, Following Jesus begins with listening. And so just being present and tuning in is a first step towards following Jesus. For some of us, our next step towards following Jesus is simply to come back. Simply to tune in and listen and ask questions and push back and be free to doubt and wrestle through where we're really at and what we struggle to believe in and where we might be feeling internal tension. For the others of us, you know, you might find yourself in the loan in the boat phase. Right, this is kind of the second step where Jesus says, you know what, I want, to in, I want you to inconvenience yourself in this small, small way. Right, so for some of you, I mean, this can look a lot of different ways. You know, for me, so one of my things, uh, one of the ways this fleshed itself out for me was in high school. I had a friend who said, you need to read this book. You really need to read this book. And I think part of it was because I was... I was that elitist kind of religious jerk at that point. Right? I had just come back to the church, and I had like swung to the other side of the pendulum. And he's like, you need a pharisectomy, this book will do it. Right? And so I picked up a book uh, called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Bre- Brennan Manning, and it wrecked me. It wrecked me. 
And I was introduced to Brendan Manning, who would forever change the way I came to understand God. Now, in high school, I had made an art form out of not reading. I never read anything. You know what I mean? It's like introduction to the first chapter, last chapter, write the paper, you know? I never read. Was it an inconvenience? Absolutely it was. But man, looking back, I am so glad that I leaned into that. For some of you, you've been here, you've been listening for a while. You're kind of like permanent visitor status when it comes to Mosaic, you know? You just kind of sneak in the back, sit in the back, you know, sneak out a little bit early. We're not really connected here, and maybe for you the next step is taking that next step and coming to starting point, right? And just hearing more about the story of Mosaic and who we are and what we're about, right? And why we do some of the things we do and why we don't do a number of things that other churches do. And begin a way, you know what, maybe I have family here. Maybe I need to move uh, the potential for family, right? Maybe I need to move from being permanent visitor status to part of the family's status, right? Or maybe for you it's joining a life group. Right? And maybe you'd be at a point where you're saying, you know what, I've been doing this listening thing on my own for a very long time, but I need to get some questions answered. Right? I need to be able to bounce stuff off other people. Right? I need to be able to, to wrestle, and I need other people to maybe come alongside me and help me take my next step towards following Jesus. Right? I can't tell you exactly what that is. Is it inconvenient? Yeah, it's inconvenient. But for you, it might be, might be the next step. For some of us, we're in the take and fishing phase. It's kind of the third one. And this is where things get exciting. Right? This is where Jesus actually asks you to take that next big step. Right? That next step of faith and actually maybe do something that you've done a thousand different times your way. And Jesus is asking you, you know what? I want you to do that same thing, but I want you to do it my way. And that can look a lot of different ways. Right? Maybe for you, if you're really, really honest, it's like you'd have to admit, you know what? For the last season of my life, my life has really been about me. And I'm really not serving anybody else, right? So maybe that's stepping into like a mentorship program. Maybe that's serving on one of our teams here, right? And coming and doing the very unglorious work of sweating in the morning or the afternoon and setting up or tearing down so that Jesus can begin to strip you of that selfishness of just serving yourself. So he can do in you what he can only do in you as you serve, right? And you're going to be able to look back if that's you and see the life change along the way and know, you know what? I was a part of that. Right? Or maybe it's connections team, right? Stepping out and serving and loving on people, connecting with people, making sure that when people walk into this space, if they're ignored Monday through Saturday, that on Sunday, somebody looks them in the eyes and says, you matter. We see you and you matter. You know, or maybe it's loving on our kids, the Mosaic kids. And not only loving on them with the love of Jesus, but enabling their parents, who maybe like me, stepped away from church for a very long time and they're not even sure they're buying it to give them the opportunity to come in here and be a part of this and to sit and listen and ask questions in a way and to doubt and go through that whole process, right? I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's financially, right? Maybe as you look at your life and what you're giving and if, if we were to put up your checkbook and your breakdown of your income and outcome on the screens, right, we would be like, we could see that, you know, of all the things that you care about, Maybe God's initiatives in the world through his church or through compassion initiatives of other organizations isn't really high on the priority list. We're not going to do that, by the way. Don't worry. Right? But maybe it's getting to a point saying, you know what? I know I should be more generous than I am. And I've felt that for a long time. Right? And, and maybe I'm just giving God my leftovers at the end of the month. You know, like when grocery money and beer money and Netflix money and all that stuff, like after I spend all that, if there's something left, I'll kind of give that to God. But I'm definitely not giving him my first fruits, that's for sure. And I'm definitely not being generous, if I'm really honest. 
right? Maybe for you, that's where you're at. And again, I can't tell you what that is, but I bet you something. I bet, I bet you know what it is. I bet you know. I don't have to tell you. Right? It's that thing, that little nagging voice, that idea that keeps surfacing in your mind when you're quiet, right? Or maybe when you're in prayer or reading the Bible or just sitting in church or just laying in bed, right? When the, when the iPhone's turned off. I know it's a rare moment, but every now and then it happens, right? And there's that nagging idea that, you know what? I think I'm supposed to do that. You know, I can trace me being right here back to a decision I made when I was, uh, I was in college. And I had this, well, actually it was the end of high school. And I had this nagging feeling that I was supposed to invest and love on a handful of middle school boys. And uh, I was not very big on church. In fact, I was completely out of church at that time. Um, but Jesus was starting to make sense to me. I was, I was starting to follow Jesus and I felt like I was just supposed to go help and volunteer with a handful of teenage boys. And I didn't particularly like teenage boys. I was a teenage boy, you know, but younger teenage boys. And so I stepped into that, right? Six-month commitment, no strings attached, give this a run, and something crazy started happening. I started loving on these guys, and I didn't even, I really didn't even know my Bible, but we're opening up, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And these kids, like these rough Teenagers didn't grow up in church, smoke weed like it's their job, right? Start to take their first steps to follow Jesus. And I see this amazing thing start to happen in their life. And I'm, I'm at this point, I'm a horrible leader, right? And I'm a horrible Christian, to be honest. Like, I had all kinds of areas of my life where I was just doing a lot of stuff I shouldn't have been doing, right? But I was starting to follow Jesus and took these middle school boys with me as we began to follow Jesus. And I started to see this thing happen. And I got addicted to that. And six months turned into a year, turned into two years, turned into three years, turned into four years. Eventually, I got paid to do it. And all along the way, just step by step by step, God was wooing me. And my small acts of faith, faith were intersecting with his faithfulness. And I was hooked. And now, I'm a freaking pastor, which still weirds me out. And if Jesus would have told me that at the beginning, I would have been out. right? If it would have been like Jesus or Aaron, drop your nets and follow me and I will make you a pastor of men and women. I'd have been like, I'm out. <laughs> no interest, you know. Uh, I'm going to keep bartending. Um, but here I am. And the crazy thing is, I would not trade this for anything in the world. But it did not start with leave everything and follow me, sell everything and follow me, abandon your family and follow me. It was one step at a time. One step at a time. Right? And for some of you, right, this is your step. It's jumping in. It's serving. It's giving. It's, I don't know. You tell me. Right? And for some of you, you're in step four, right, which is leaving the nets and following. And you've been sitting and listening, right, and you're at a point where even though you don't have all your questions answered, when it comes to Jesus, you know enough. Right? And you know, like, you just got to stop playing games with yourself. Where it's like, I'm going to work on this area and totally just do what I know God doesn't want me doing over here. And then we'll work over here, and then I'm going to start fudging over here. And you just got to stop and say, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I don't know what it's going to be like. You know, I I don't have all my questions answered. But I do know enough to know that I need to follow. Right? And maybe for you, it's getting baptized. Right? Calling on the life of every believer to publicly say before your church family, I belong to Jesus. Right? And you're in luck. We've got one coming up in August. And if that's you, connections card. Fill it out. Let us know. If you have questions, be happy to answer them for you. All right? So all that to say, this should be... I'm going to cut myself off. 
This should be both encouraging and challenging news to all of us. For those of us who really struggle with doubt, you know, you're kind of a natural skeptic or just more inquisitive than, the na- you know, some other people, and you just struggle to believe along the way, this should be tremendously encouraging because God is not calling you to just believe mindlessly or to give up everything right now and follow him. He's just calling you to take the next step. Right? And for those of us who have been in this journey for a while, right, and we've, we've had the name Christian right here for a while, this should also be challenging because this is not something we ever graduate out of. There's always the next step. There's always the next step. And I wonder if some of us were really honest. You know, we would have to say that, you know what, I like to think that I'm at leave your nets stage of following Jesus. But most weeks, if I look at the decisions that I make and how I prioritize my relationship with Jesus, it actually looks a lot more like sit and listen. Barely am I really open to even being inconvenienced by God, let alone taking a step of faith. And so it's challenging, and it should be challenging, because you can be a Christian and not be a follower of Jesus. You can come to church every week and not be a follower of Jesus. And so I challenge you. I challenge you to ask yourself with all honesty, where am I really at? What is my next step? And am I willing to take it? Because you have no idea what hangs in the balance. Let me pray for you. Lord God, as we come before you as a community of faith, as people who are all over the belief spectrum, the unbelief spectrum, Lord God, I pray that in this moment, as we come before you, right, and we play some music and we sing some words, maybe just in the quietness of our own heart, right here, right now, that you would help us to get really honest about where we're at, and in the, in the hours to come, and maybe just in the minutes to come, Lord, that you would make that next step that you desire for us to take crystal clear. And that we would have the courage to take that next step. And Lord God, I thank you that you are a God that, that invites us into a process. That it's not all or nothing. Right? But it's something. It's the next thing and the next thing, and the next thing. I I thank you that you're more patient with us than we are patient with with ourselves and with each other most times. And Lord God, I ask that you would grow us in that as well, that we would be a people marked by grace because you've been so gracious to us and so patient to us. So Lord God, show us what is that next step that you desire for each one of us to take. We pray these things in your name. Amen.